Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. I'm not going to play any more music leading into our episodes because the last time I did two weeks ago, I played Taps and then everybody else decided uh, a week later to start playing Taps. Yes, I'm back on Crossed Up. It's Anthony Sanfilippo, joined as always by Bob Wankel, who uh, had to endure Phil Kydell filling in for me last week. Uh, Bob, we're just kind of playing out the string at this point. I know the Phillies still think they're in some sort of race in some capacity, but uh, they're not. It's uh, We're recording this on uh, Monday the 17th. They lost Man again to the Mets. It's not, They lost again 9-4 to four tonight, uh, and uh, we're just kind of slowly slinking toward the offseason at this juncture. Yeah, Anthony, I, I don't know, man. Uh, here we are. The Phillies are three games over 500. Will they finish 500? I don't know. Stay tuned. Uh, that's kind of the suspense that remains here over the final two weeks of this season. Phillies lose tonight 9-4 to the Mets. Uh, it was a tie game going into the seventh inning. Uh, they gave up one, and then they gave up four in the ninth, and they end up getting blown out and losing to the Mets yet again. Uh, it's amazing because we talked uh, about two weeks ago now, and I guess the last time we spoke, we had kind of closed the book on this season. Uh, and, and I think that anybody had been watching knows that this is this has long been over. But amazingly, I know the Braves got hot last week, but they, they stumbled over the weekend, and they lost again to the Cardinals tonight. And the Braves, in spite of everything that has happened, kind of continue to leave the door open for the Phillies, and they are just clearly not interested. They are four and eleven now in the month of September. And after tonight's game, Matt Breen tweeted out something which I thought was uh, <laughs> comically bad. The Phillies are on pace for their worst month of September since 1942. Uh, they went six and twenty-one that year, and uh, several of their players were missing because they had to report for World War II. So you are talking about a, a historically bad finish for this team. And had they just played 500, really, over the last month or so, they'd, they'd be on their way to a postseason berth. But uh, here we are, playing out the string, as you said. Yeah, with 39 players and the 40th to come tomorrow. I, this, this could be a record. I, I can't think of a time in my life of watching baseball when one team actually had every man on their 40-man roster active and in the in uniform it's and value the fil- at the margins man value in the margins and That's the fill in the fill yeah value screw they, that they no. told you you were going to get this back in the winter why are you surprised I mean, they're, they're just they're just trying to maximize this the, the potential stop. of this of this team just stop Aaron Loop comes off the DL tomorrow there will be 40 players in Philly's uniform uh, 16 excited. relievers 16 relievers active. 
That's insanity. No team should have it. Look, you want to expand rosters for September, and this is I, this is kind of a little slightly off the Phillies topic. It's more of a baseball That's topic. That's fine. I, I need something else. Go ahead. If you want to expand rosters in September, I'm totally cool with it, right? I think that you know there, there's a reason for it, and there's a benefit to it, both for teams that are competing and for teams that are rebuilding and want to see what they have. But you still got to cap it, I think. I think you got to maybe, maybe you know, you say, okay, you've been playing with 25 all year long. Maybe we let you add, you know, up to 30. So you get, a, you know, you get an extra five roster spots. That's it. And even that might be too many. Maybe I would say 20, maybe even 28 would be enough. But 40? This is ridiculous. And then, he's, and, you, and then you wonder why the average length of games goes up <laughs> for the season in September because you got stuff like this happening. That's, it's absurd to think. It's absurd to think that, you, that and, and you know what? Gabe Kapler is the kind of manager who might even a- attempt this one time, that you could spend, um, have use up 17 pitchers in a game. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't put it past him at this point. We'll we'll talk about Gabe Kapler in a little bit. I, I think that we are headed for the ultimate showdown on Gabe. Uh, and so uh, we've been, I think, wanting to do this for a while now. And tonight seems like the night because I don't really want to talk about the Phillies' playoff chances anymore. Uh, I don't really want to talk about this team. I don't want to talk about how they can't hit. Uh, I just I don't have it in me to have that conversation with you uh, no. again, frankly. <laughs> you know what no, I mean? So no need. It's, it's amazing, though. So um, – I will say this, if you go back to the middle of August, right when things really started to take a turn for the worst uh, for the Phillies, um, we talked so much about how the starting pitching was the key and how really because those starters all took a leap forward at the same time, it masked a lot of this team's blemishes. And I, I, so what I wanted to do ahead of tonight is I, I wanted to see just how bad the Phillies pitching has been. And I think that the, the biggest indictment of the Phillies pitching is this. Um, we all know that the offense struggles and that it's an inconsistent product. But when you go back and you look at this team's OPS uh, over the last 30 days, they have a 730 OPS, right, which is the 12th best in all of baseball. They're ahead of teams like the Cleveland Indians, the Boston Red Sox, the St. Louis Cardinals. These are all teams that have surged. They're also ahead of, you guessed it, the Atlanta Braves. So when you look at this team's you know, ability to get on base and, and combine it with the slugging, the Phillies have actually been above league average over the last month, and things have completely fallen apart for them. So you go, okay, the offense has actually performed better how bad has the pitching been? I mean, and it, it's worse than I actually thought, and I knew it was bad. Um, the last 30 days entering tonight's game, in which they gave up nine more runs, the Phillies had the fifth worst overall ERA, a 4.80 ERA. And if you break it down from starters and relievers, it, it's even more ugly. This starting staff, which we raved about for the vast majority of this season, starter ERA's fifth worst in baseball. 5.40, and they're averaging just over five innings per start. And it's worse because they have a 5-13 and 13 record in that stretch. The 13 losses by Philly starters are the third most in all of baseball. So how do you like that for some research? How do you like that, you know, to back up just how bad this has been, man? It's it's crazy, the regression of this starting staff. Bob, I, I, wanna, I want to um, give the listeners an option right now. I want to say to them, take a minute, pause the show, pause the show as soon as I'm done speaking, and go back and listen to 
our episodes start with the one right before the trade deadline in July and go through the next couple. So like three in a row. And we talked about this repeatedly over those three episodes where we said, A, the Phillies are, t- are missing the thing that they need the most. It's pitching at the deadline. They're focusing so much on the lineup that they're really not paying attention to where the problem lies. And B, uh, after the deadline passed and they didn't make trades for, cha- for, uh, for pitchers, we sat there and said, um, the, yeah, the, there's a concern that these pitchers aren't going to hold up because they're all throwing way too many innings, these starters. And it's just not going to happen. They need to go get it. They need find somebody on the waiver uh, through a, a waiver trade and go get them. And we said that too. And it didn't happen. So go ahead. Well, go what, back. What, what, Pause right now. Go back and listen. <laughs> and, and what becomes interesting is, you know, so now the Phillies have a decision to make on this front. Do they look at the regression of the starting pitchers over the last month, two months, let's say, and do they attribute it to the fact that they are just worn out, that they have exceeded their, their prior you know, innings pitched? Is this just a matter of young guys that haven't been this far into a season before just experiencing growing pains? Or is there real concern here that they just simply aren't that talented? And, and that's what the Phillies have to sort through. And this is a, a complicated issue on, on several fronts because – Though I don't want to talk about this season and, and, and how they fell short much, much longer because we've spent weeks doing this now, the Phillies have to decide what they're going to do moving forward. And is it, is it Zach Eflin, who was decent his last time out for the first time in almost uh, you know, five weeks? Um, is it Vince Velasquez that they finally move on from? If, if you go back and listen to what we had talked about in April and May, uh, I, was, I was certainly ready to move on from Velasquez, but then for two months he was one of the best pitchers in the National League, right? So is, is it he the guy that you move on from? Or is it Nick Pavetta, who, who we've both been high on at times this season, but the bottom, the bottom line is, is that he's been wildly inconsistent and he's been largely ineffective for, for long gaps in this season. And they're seven, he's 7-13, seven and 13, you know, and, and I know the strikeouts are there and the stuff is there. And So who is it that you're, you're turning the page on? Who is it that you're going to move on from and, and bring in perhaps a, a more established a free agent starter? And I, I think the guy that jumps off the page is Patrick Corbin And for, for a lot of reasons. A, you look at the production that he's had, and B, he's, he's also a left-handed pitcher, which I, I do think – there is something to be said for that. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah. To, to balance this thing out. Yeah, you're 100 right, and that would be he would be the I think the top target for a rotation that needs a left-handed starting pitcher, um, and uh, would certainly slot in, probably right into that number two spot. I mean, if you're assuming Arietta stays, uh, they don't move. Ari- they don't trade Arietta. Because I mean, at this point, anybody's available uh, except for maybe Nolan Hoskins. I think everybody else is kind of like, go ahead, you, you want, yeah. but we'll listen. But um, it's, so, you, so you're asking me about the rotation. Obviously, Nola, you know, he's there. He's your anchor. He's your ace. Okay. Um, Arietta's been a disappointment uh, in the sense that uh, he, you know, he has he's battled in games and he's been there. You know, he's given you some good starts. But he's been too inconsistent for what you expected from a veteran pitcher. And I, I really wish – and it's not that I think – you know, and he's a guy that's certainly not fitting that mold of, oh, he's throwing too many innings. This guy's been a workhorse for his career. You're just starting to worry that maybe now, you know, the reason that he hung out, as, hung out there as available as long as he did, um, maybe other teams realize that there's something going awry with him and he's not going to be the same pitcher he was with the Cubs. Um, and, that's, uh, and that's why. Look, it, 
if Arietta ends up being your number three pitcher and gives you, you know, th- an ERA around three and a half, you know, a, d- a decent whip, and he's never what he the dominant pitcher he was again. I, I guess I'm okay with it if you're if you're competitive, but if you're not, if you need him uh, to be a guy that that you know carries a bigger load and he can't do it, then he's obviously an an, an epic fail. Um, yeah, and I don't know that this is a revelation. I mean, after tonight, he goes five innings, uh, nine hits, four earned, one walk, six strikeouts, and now his ERA sits at three seven seven. And I guess I'm not all that surprised um, that that's where his his season total sits. I, I, he has not been very good uh, the last month. When things really revved up and you needed him to go out and, and throw zeros at opponents, he hasn't really done that. And I, I guess I'm not surprised that he's going to finish with around a 500 record. Uh, I'm not surprised that there was a regression from from what he was with Chicago. I think that a lot of us expected that. And, and you use the word disappointment, and I would characterize it that way as well. But I guess I did hope for a little bit more than this. Um, like you said, though, if he's sitting in the middle of your rotation as a three or four guy, I'm all right with that. But he, he cannot be... 1B if if Aaron Nola is 1A. There, right. there has to be something else at the top of the rotation. Right. But I, I don't expect a trade unless he unless he just goes AWOL over the offseason and, and forces his way out if he's just so miserable here uh, that, that he wants out. I, I don't foresee the Phillies moving on from him. I, I think that the, the contract limits it. And, and I mean, I think the Phillies still have a use for Jake Arrieta, and I, I don't know that other teams would be lining up to acquire him. So for all those reasons, I, I would expect him to be back next season. I, I expect him to be back as well, Bob. But I again, I, I think that there's, I think that there's a lot more to what's going on with this Phillies team than than your than is meeting the eye, than is well, we'll, we'll meeting get, the public eye. We'll, Let's put we'll it get that way. Because I know you have a theory on this, and and I think we can kind of roll that into what we when we get the yeah. Kapler and Klentak um, uh, in a couple. But the rest, but the, but the rest of the rotation. So all right, so those two guys, um, I I'm still I'm still on board with Pavetta. Um, he just has the he just has the stuff. He just needs to. I mean, you see it. I mean, the, uh, you you do see it. Um, you see it, and it's there. I just wish that I mean he was more consistent. So, you know, I I don't know. You look at a game like his last start, and he I thought he was pitching well, and he gets yanked early again because they're chasing a run. Yeah, you know what I'm I, saying? He started to he started to crack a little bit in the fifth inning, which again has been his issue and. And really, the issue of all these young starters—they just can't get deep into games. Uh, you know, the, the the early innings start out; they're okay, uh, and then there's this this boom. And, and you said it—you know—they are chasing runs early in games. There is no margin for error if they are still playing make believe and think that they're chasing a playoff spot that they're not going to get. So, you know, and, and again, so much of this comes back to the, the how this thing's been managed, and, and from a strategic standpoint, from a roster composition standpoint, when you have, like you said, 15, 16 guys sitting in your bullpen or you know you have 15 16 pitchers on staff i mean this is this is what you do yeah no no you were right the first time 16 guys in the bullpen bullpen. plus five starters they're gonna have 21 pitchers on the on the roster it's nuts to to talk specifically about pavetta though i mean so i look at nick pavetta and and it always just comes back to strikeouts i know that strikeouts are are in, in major league baseball right now everyone's numbers are up that way but I, I come back to it, and he's still a top 10 guy in terms of strikeouts per nine. 10.56 strikeouts per nine innings. Um, all eight of his strikeouts, he had eight strikeouts uh, on Sunday afternoon against the Marlins. All eight of them came on breaking balls. Uh, it was an excellent, excellent pitch for him on, uh, on Sunday afternoon. And it was 
like it was back in the beginning of the season. Uh, both the horizontal and vertical break, and, and not to get too nerdy on you here, but um, the, the ball's moving, and it's, it's up there. It, it's one of the best breaking pitches when it's on in, in the sport. And so he has that. He has the mid-90s fastball that has some movement on it that can be tough for hitters. He's got to develop a third pitch. And that's really what it comes down to. If the fastball location's a little bit spotty and his curveball isn't crisp, he gets pummeled. And there's just not a, a plan C. And if he can develop that third pitch and make it quasi-effective, then he becomes a, a, a viable middle-of-the-rotation pitcher for a contending team. But if he continues to be this two-pitch guy – then he has no future to stick as a, as a starter in a rotation. So that's going to be the key question. To me, there's still enough talent there that I would give him the opportunity going into next season to try to figure it out. I would give him one more offseason to say, can you develop a consistent changeup? Or can you develop a sinker? Or can you develop something that will not make you uh, so predictable in how you attack opponents? Yeah, and I'm, I'm on board with you with that. I think, that, I think the same thing with Pavetta. So, so now, for, I got two more guys. We got two yeah, more guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I like Zach Eflin. I, I, I wasn't expecting anything out of him at the beginning of the year, and then he came in and you know was lights out for six or seven starts, whatever it was, and actually was pretty consistent until the move happened. And then we, I mean, we talked about this before, and then that I think that you know, there's no doubt that that affected him, um, and it took him a while. To, to get back it took him a while to get back to what he is um and you know maybe what we saw in this last start from him is, is his way of saying yeah i can get back to it again i i got over it i got over the the demotion i got over the lost money and i'm i'm back again but who knows i mean so he's another guy that i'm willing to, to take a look at come march but I'm I'm not convinced he's in the rotation. I think he battles for a number five spot again next year. And nor should you be. I mean, as good as he was going back to June, I mean, he was lights out in June. 1.76 ERA in 30 and two-thirds innings pitched. But let me give you his ERA by by month this, this season. And let me just see if that alters anything. And, again, we understand. If you listen to this podcast, we know that ERA isn't the end-all, be-all. I mean, we look across the board at several different several different metrics. But – 4.50 ERA in May, uh, 1.76 in June, 5.40 in July, 4.91 in August, and then 6.28 in September. So and you look at it, and he really had one just absolutely dominant month, and he's kind of he's kind of survived off of that. Uh, the beginning of his July was solid too, but towards the end of the month, he he began to fade. In the second half, specifically, as a 5.75 ERA in over 50 innings. Uh, opponents are hitting 290, and uh, opponents' OPS is in the high 800s. It's uh, eight. Quick math here: 873 is the opponent's OPS in the second half of the season since the All Star break. So I, I do like Zach Eflin too. I mean, I thought that it, overall he took a step forward this season. Certainly, he gave the Phillies more than than they could have hoped for, and the, there is some intrigue there. But again, if the goal is to say that we are a contender, or we're trying to win the National League East and take that step forward, is that a guy that you can comfortably say, yeah, he's going to be our five starter? Especially if Nick Pavetta is going to be your, we'll say four, right? I mean, that, that's what it comes down to. Can you gamble on both of these, on both of those guys simultaneously? Because to me, no, so, you can gamble on one, but can you gamble on two and then say, well, that's what, we expect that's, to win 90 games this season? That's what I'm saying. Like I, I'm okay with keeping Pavetta in the rotation. 
I think Eflin's going to have to beat somebody out to get it. You know what I'm saying? That's a, that's to me that's what I think is is the is the is the right solution. So I don't I don't get rid of, you know, I don't just say forget it on Eflin. Yeah, I mean I I'm not talking about getting yeah. rid of guys here. I mean, you know, certainly you either bring them back or you you try to find a trade partner or, you know, these aren't guys that you just unload because you say they don't have any talent. I mean, th- there is value in Zach Eflin. There's certainly value in Nick Pavetta and, and and to I guess the other guy that we should probably talk about, Vince Velasquez. Um That's where I that's where you lose me. Yeah, so and we can let's just briefly talk about this again. The strikeout numbers decent, uh, ten strikeouts per nine innings. Um, you know the home run numbers are way down this year. He he almost allowed his home run rate is almost cut in half from 2017. So you could say there was improvement that way. Uh, the the walk percentage is down. Um, you know the the strikeout to walk ratio is up, which is good. Opponents batting average is way down. His WHIP is way down. You know, there's a lot when you look across the board. Did he make progress in in 2018? And he did. I mean, five five two FIP in in 2017 to a three six six in 2018. So there was a lot of progression from Vince Velasquez. With that said, again, he doesn't give you a lot of innings. Completely inconsistent. He's had really what now three the better part of three seasons to show what he is. I'm just not comfortable coming into a season saying this is a guy that we we're going to count on. Yeah, no, I I'm done with Velasquez. Now, what does done mean? Does that mean I'm done rotation done or does I'm done? That mean I, I'm, no, I'm relief I'm, pitcher done. No, you want well, you want to keep him as like a long man? Fine. <laughs> I, I I don't want him in in key situations anymore. I just don't. I just don't think it's there, Bob. And we, you know, I know that you kind of felt the same way for a long time, and then you started to come around to him a little bit when he had that stretch where he pitched really well for the better part of two months. And I acknowledged it. I, you know what, the kid was pitching really good ba- baseball, and I was like, you know, good for him. But you, asked, I think I recall you asking me, "Does this continue?" And at the time, I said, "I, I can't say that it will." Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I can't, and it didn't. And you know, and it. Has he been better? Yes, this has been his best season with the Phillies, no doubt about it. But I just, he's another guy who's n- never going to be better than what than what you're getting right now, and that, in my mind. Yeah. And so, therefore, you say to yourself, is what you're getting now like worthy of a, of a spot in the rotation? It's not, and I don't think he has stuff to play on the back end of a bullpen. So you know, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he could be a setup guy. Who knows? But I. <laughs> He's he he should not be a starter. He should not be a closer. Neither one. What I come back to with, with him, and this is what I can't get past. I, I know he has games. I know he has his moments. I just look at the production of opponents against certain pitches of his, and his fastball has been really good this season. Uh, the, the opponents are only hitting two fourteen against it. Uh, it has been a well above league average in terms of production, ability to prevent runs. Uh, using the fastball slider, one seventy five opponents average. It's been pretty good. You talk about Pavetta being a two-pitch pitcher, though, and then you get to the curveball, and opponents are mashing it. Uh, he's well below league average in terms of value there with the curveball. Uh, opponents hitting 315 against it. Uh, they've lit him up. Sinker, they've lit up that. The changeup, they've pummeled. He hardly even throws it because it's been so ineffective. And so when you look at that, he really relies on the fastball. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Um, he throws the fastball – 
significantly more than any other pitch. I mean, check this out. He's thrown a four-seam fastball 1,281 times this season. Slider, 376. Curveball, 341. Sinker, 230. Changeup, 119. He's a two-pitch pitcher. And unless one of those pitches is absolutely so dominant, consistently a wipeout pitch, you can't get by like that. And until there's an improvement there, and the fact that he has not been able to do that at this point in his career. I mean, the guy's 26 years old. You're not talking about a 22-year-old here that's still trying to figure it out. I mean, he's going to be 27 years old next season. He hasn't developed that third pitch yet. You know, there is talent there, but he's not – to me, someone that you can rely on, and certainly not with the other questions that they have in this rotation. So the Phillies, I think, almost have to, and I know that they have a lot of depth in their, in their minor league system when it comes to the rotation. You can talk about Sixto Sanchez all you want, and I know that there's some other guys down there in, in A-ball that, that I think are viable options for you two, three, four years out, but right now going into 2019 there's nobody that they can bring up that you would say well he's a he's a legitimate option for a a contending team so there i think it's it's almost a foregone conclusion you can talk about Manny Machado and Bryce Harper all you want but the Phillies are going to have to go out and address their rotation through free agency with somebody if not a high end guy like Corbin somebody that you can at least say we know what we're getting out of this guy because you just can't have three wild cards. This year was okay being a fact-finding mission. Next year can't be. See, oh, I, I hate that you just said that, Bob. I hate that you just said that this That's is good. okay being a fact-finding uh, mission. And not that I'm okay with it, but I, I can at least say, like, we had another – like, we – if you move on from Vince Velasquez and he turns into to being a, an outstanding uh, number two, three-type starter, you say, damn, we cut the cord too early on that guy. You've given Vince Velasquez now adequate opportunity. I mean, where if he does go somewhere else and he becomes what we thought he could possibly be a year or two ago, then, then so be it. You know, it's not your own negligence. It wasn't that you were yeah, too okay. impatient. Fair enough. Fair enough. No, because uh, there's something that, there's something with the whole this season was a fact finding mission that that that, com- that comment you just made that sounds a lot like something that Matt Clentak said that it, it would. that, and, and that I'm not ticked me that the because, that ticked me off big time. Because the bottom we'll line is this that. team this team should have this team should have made the playoffs. I, I I think that you feel that way too. You know, I think that yeah. there was enough there had they done what was necessary. Uh, that they could have made the postseason. So, yeah, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not using the word or the term fact-finding as a, as a write-off or as, a, as an excuse or to say, hey, you know, this was all fine. But I, I didn't want to turn the page on guys that I thought had a, a legitimate upside or ceiling before we fully understood what they were. But I think at this point now, at least with Vince Velasquez, we do know. And, and to me, you cannot come back with him next season uh, as, as, a, as a starter in this rotation. Um, I, I think he's just – he kind of what, is what he is. And I think the Astros I th- may have identified that three seasons ago. He, he certainly has some talent. We don't think he's a finished product, and we don't think he's going to get there. And, and that's sort of what it looks like. Uh, whether or not they want to turn him into a reliever, I mean, I, I don't know. O- okay. I mean, I'm not against it, but um, I don't think he's going to be some, some lights-out guy in the back end of the bullpen for, for the same reason, just the lack of consistency, inability to locate pitches, uh, but we'll see. I mean, it, it has happened before, so I, we'll, we'll see how they play it there. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, sir, I'm I'm just so it's just so frustrating to me. Yeah, it's frustrating uh, I, uh, to me because we could see it, Bob. And if if you and I could see it, and yeah, okay, look, maybe we watch baseball a little bit more closely than the average fan. 
All right, I get it, all right? But we're still just guys watching on television. If we can see what was coming, if we could see that the bullpen was, even though it was pitching well after the All-Star break, that it wasn't going to last. If we could see that the starting pitching was starting to show cracks even when it was pitching as one of the best starting fives in baseball. If we could see that, how come the people who are in charge of this team couldn't? Well, if I'm being honest with you, I think that you saw it more than I did because if you go back to the end of July, I think it was after Nick Pavetta – I want to say it was after Nick Pavetta pitched against the Cincinnati Reds in Cincy, and he wasn't very good. And I had uh, come out with a piece kind of saying, like, don't go out and get a starting pitcher at the expense of Nick Pavetta because he was the guy that was struggling first. Like, Eflin had had maybe a shaky start or two at that point, but he was still pretty solid, and Velasquez had been really good at that point. So the idea was if you were going to go out and get a starting pitcher, it would have been at the expense of Pavetta because that's when he was was blowing up. And I said, well, I I don't want to give up on Nick Pavetta, so don't go out and, and make that panic move trade. You have to find out what you have in this kid. I did understand that they were hitting that that innings threshold and that there was a a large chance of regression, but I wasn't as gung-ho about going out and getting another starting pitcher. Where I was was really beating the drum was to go out and get another late-inning reliever, a guy that you could say has closer-type stuff, that has the type of experience – or, you know, has the high-end level ability like a Brad Hand. You know, like those were the guys that I was hung up on. And those were the guys, as they were going off the board, as, as other teams were acquiring that type of talent, that was what was making me rip my hair out. But I wasn't going crazy over Jay Happ and Cole Hamels. I, no, but they needed I, I both. Wasn't. They needed a starter and bullpen. They needed both. And they were so caught up in the fact that they couldn't hit that they went out and just got hitters. Let's just get veteran hitters. That's going to help. And that did nothing but just, I don't know, wreck the chemistry in the clubhouse, I think. You made, they made too many changes, and all the changes that they made, for the most part, you know, if we're not counting, you know, the, the, the lefty conundrum with Loop and Avalon. Um, yeah, Avalon. Um, they just went out and got, they got four, every, uh, four position players. That's too many. Do, That's do too really, many. Do you really buy into the, the whole chemistry thing? Yes. Did you yes. at the time? Because like, I, I feel like when they made these deals, like it was like, oh, the Phillies went I, out and got Justin Bour. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. Oh, they got Asdrubal Cabrera. Well, you can't play Scott Kingery every day. Uh, can, like, well, you, I, like, I you, understood those You can go back and look at the text messages that we had back and forth between each other. And I was not a huge fan of any of the moves. None of them. I, Ramos I, wore on me a little bit. I mean, I, I, he grew on me a little bit. I mean, I thought, okay, I mean, the guy – I was concerned because he did have some inconsistency in his career, and he's coming off of a long layoff and an injury that he wouldn't hit when he came back, and you know, and he's apparently playing through some stuff, and he's but he but he has hit and whatever, okay, fine. Um, that one didn't end up bothering me as much as I thought it would, but I never thought as Drupal Cabrera was a good pickup because he's not good defensively, and he's not a great hitter. He's certainly impatient. Um, Justin Bohr just didn't, I mean, it, it gave you more of a log jam than, than anything else. Um, so that one didn't make sense to me. Jose Bautista, who's playing a hell of a lot more than I ever thought he was going to play. Yeah, I actually certain, can't believe how much he's played. <laughs> it certainly makes no sense. I, I thought um, he was going to have like five at-bats. I really did. Yeah, I mean, so none of it made sense. And the whole time, this they're chasing, chasing hitting. And they're not 
and the whole time that they were doing it, they had their one eye on both eyes on that and no eyes on the pitching staff. Right. Well, you know, got two lefty relievers. I don't know if I said it and we're talking about like past 30 days, blah, blah, blah. Um, You know, if I didn't say it before, I'll, I'll, I'll say it now, and if, if I did, I'll just repeat myself. Their bullpen ERA really over the last month has, has been right around four, um, and they gave up five more runs uh, in four innings tonight. So their ERA now, dating back to mid-August, is, is well over four, and it's amazing that that's the case considering uh, you have all these extra arms, you have all these additional moves, you're playing matchup uh, in the month of September for 15 games now, um, and, and the bullpen production has just been absolutely terrible. And I don't know if that dates back to the overusage of these guys back in June, oh. July, like when they heated up and, and everyone said, see, this bullpen, see, you know. And that was one thing I had in my notes that I wanted to talk about a little bit because you remember the, the Phillies bullpen was really struggling at one point early in, in the summer, late in the spring. And then they had their little renaissance in, in July. And all of a sudden they had one of the best bullpens in, in baseball for about a month. Is this just – is this a combination? I mean, is this just that they weren't that good to begin with? Or how much was the usage at play here? You know, well, that's, I, that's what I want to know. I think, it's, I think it's a little bit of both, but I, I, I really I, – I would lean more toward the, fa- the way they were used because it's all about – and we, we've discussed this on this show before too, that the worst part for a relief pitcher isn't always getting into the game. The worst part is warming up and not getting into the game, because they're it's a lot of times these guys are warming up really quickly. You know, they get a quick phone call. We want to get you in in like two batters, so get up there, stretch, throw, you know, stretch it out, throw the ball, get get real hot real quick, and then up oh, sit back down again. And then yeah, okay, now you're sitting around for another inning, and then, oh no, we need you back up again. Okay, get back up again, and now you're throwing again. So it, that up and down taxes bullpen arms a hell of a lot more than the actual appearances in games. And I thought that the Phillies were out of control with that this year. Just out of control. There were guys constantly warming up and sitting down and warming up and then come in. And then the next guy's warming up. It was so ridiculous how often it was happening. And it was certainly not a, not a sound strategy by any stretch of the imagination. That said, how many of these guys are really that good? I mean, really, when you look at the bullpen and look at their look at who has struggled or regressed or whatever, I mean, everybody got all excited about Luis Garcia last year, right? Say, oh, this guy's you know, he's finally you know got that uh, that slider working, and you know, he's a tough pitcher now. He's thirty one years old. It's not like it's not like he was some kid who just suddenly was you know, uh, re- re- you know, realized his ability. He's he's an older veteran player. Like he already had one decent half season. Does that all suddenly mean he's going to become a you know a, a shutdown setup guy? No, you know uh, Neris imploded. Bray Ramos was good for a while, then he got hurt and wasn't wasn't much of anything. Tommy Hunter stinks. I don't care that he was that he had a nice stretch there for a while. He stinks, um, and he's <laughs> yeah. under contract for another year too. Um, well, let's talk about Tommy Hunter real quick. You want to you talk about usage. He appeared in 61 games a year ago uh, with Tampa Bay, 
and he appeared in his 60th game tonight for the Phillies. And keep in mind, he didn't make his first appearance this season until April 22nd. Because he was so, injured. Yeah. You know, he's a guy that I, I can't believe how much they've run him out there. And and you mentioned Hector Naris, who, as you said, imploded. You go back to late May, I guess it was, I, I want to say, late May, late June. I, I, I think it was June, actually. And he was a disaster, right? Uh, he's actually come back and, and been really good for this team since he's been back up. And you look at how bad the bullpen's been. Take away Hector Naris and what he's done. And oh, my God. You know? no, he, he didn't have and, a good game tonight, though. Yeah, did he? he didn't have a good game tonight. He did get hit around a little bit in the, uh, I guess it was the ninth inning tonight before he gave way to Austin Davis, who, <laughs> you know, he was one of the guys that was having a big-time July. And everyone's like, man, this guy's a godsend. And, and you've seen now what, what he is. Uh, as the season wears on. So this bullpen, you know, I, I think, yes, it does have something to do with usage. But when I read the names, I, I just go, oh, there's not a lot of talent here. And, I mean, even Sir Anthony Dominguez, who was so good the first two weeks of his, uh, you know, into his career, it's, it's, been, it's been tough. And a lot of that comes with usage. You know, it's the second inning. When he goes back out, he's really struggled. Uh, he, he comes out, he's lights out uh, that first inning. And when they bring him back in, he just doesn't have the same energy. He doesn't have the same life. He doesn't have the same command. It really, and that's the biggest thing. The command just isn't there. Uh, and it, it amazes me and bewilders me that they continue to do this multi-inning thing with him. He is not what they thought he was. I mean, just because, just because he was a starting pitcher at some point in his career in the minors doesn't mean that he's equipped to do this at the major league level. No, not at all. And, and it's again, it's it's because uh, when we get into the, when we get into the conversation about Clentac and Kapler, which we're going, we're going to dive, minute, we're going to dive right into the same the same thing that you just said. You don't understand why they keep doing it, and that's the that's the tragic flaw of this Philly season is that they never identified what they did, what they were doing that was wrong. And they just stuck to their guns that it was going to be okay. It was going to work ultimately. You'll see. You'll see. And they never they never adjusted on things. And those are the things that are going to end up costing them the season. And I'm concerned moving forward because this is all right. Can, can I say it now? I'm going to just I'm just yeah. I, I, I'm breaking protocol. I'm going to jump right into it. Here's here's. <laughs> Here's the quote from Matt Klintak that made me want to strangle him. I know that it's not always going to be popular, and I know it's not. He's talking about um, the, uh, uh, the the radical ra the, the radical changes to the way things have been done in Philadelphia with baseball. I know that it's not always going to be popular, and I know it's not always going to work, but that doesn't mean the process is flawed. And coming up with new ideas, candidly, this was an excellent season to try new things with a young roster and with relatively modest expectations, and we did. Some of them worked, and we'll continue to use them. Some of them didn't, and we won't use them anymore. But we'll continue pressing forward because that's our job. I have so, There's so many things in that paragraph that drive me nuts. So many, okay? When you say, I know it's, here. <laughs> yeah, stop me when you, we'll break it down sentence by sentence. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll have our little, uh, um, yeah, a little, a little um, di diagramming session here. Okay, um, I know it's not always going to be popular, and I know it's not always going to work. I know you can't expect perfection. 
okay? But to sit there and be accepting of the fact that the things that you are doing differently than what the way they've done before and that they don't work something and they don't work doesn't you know to sit there and say that it's not flawed the process isn't flawed because of that that's number one yes the process is flawed the process is flawed when you're at the bottom of the rankings and the things that you're doing okay that's when you have to change things secondly this was an excellent season to try new things with a young roster and with relatively modest expectations and we did okay relatively modest expectations did that did you consider uh make adding six players to your roster because you only had relatively modest expectations or did you think that you know you guys could do something better than that and then everything that you were trying kind of caught up to you well, that's kind of what they're doing here they're, they're sort of rewriting the narrative they're rewriting yes the, the the message that they had put out there i mean their actions weren't entirely in line with with now what they're saying however i i will present the other side of this they they never went all in they didn't do a manny machado deal they didn't go out and get brad hand they didn't go out and expend or you know spend significant minor league resources in order to go you know all in in air quotes um and i i think that that is the only thing i'll say yes they went out and got six guys but at what cost i mean almost nothing no so you're right. Well, but that, that's fine. I, I I give them credit for not giving up a lot. Okay, they're if you want me to find the the silver lining in all this, eh? They didn't give up a lot. But how did this adv- adversely affect the, the the team and the roster and the guys who busted their rear ends for three months? Even if even if we were think knowing it was a little bit smoke and mirrors, how did it affect them when all of a sudden you're bringing these players in to kind of replace them? And to change the manner and with the players and the way the players have been uh, had been playing and were playing, it just none of it made sense. It it's it reeks of a team that did not know itself, and that's the most damning thing when you're putting together a team that's going to you know make it have a chance to win something, whether it's a you know whether you're chasing a championship or whether you're you know whatever. But if you think that you have a chance to win something. The worst thing you can do is make that much turnover, have that much turnover. You can't, and then expect it to still work. And when he was asked about this, uh, you know, the question directly was, did the trades before and after July 31st adversely affect the roster chemistry? The very first thing Clentac says is, that's a very valid question. (laughs) Why, thank you, (laughs) you know. Yeah, but why does he say that? Because you know that they know that that's the reason. You know they know that it, they they screwed up. Okay. Then he then he spends the next you know minute and a half giving some BS answer. Okay. Well, we've spent the last three or four weeks examining just about everything. We come up with a theory. We test it. We try to reach some sort of conclusion. Do you honestly think that these guys are sitting around a damn conferencing table and say, all right, all everyone come up with a different hypothesis as to why we've fallen apart? In August and September, and then let let's test them and see if we see if we can find some common thread, and then sit there and say, tell us that you've tested all these different theories and that none of them is right, and so you, it's just probably a, a rare confluence of events that has caused this to happen. Are you kidding me? Are you seriously kidding me with that answer, Matt Clintac? 
So uh, I think one of the things that he had said, and I don't know if it was the same interview, but he, he did say this recently. It was something along the lines of, you know, I was brought in here to do things differently. Yep, same the interview. Have, the Phillies have always been behind the curve this way, and, and so I'm here to – to, to do it in the new age way, and that was more or less what he said. And he's like, he's I'm covering going. his ass is so, what he's doing. So I do think that there's a component here where once reality doesn't mean expectations, that people get angry. And so when Matt Klintak was hired, I, I think it was kind of sold as this guy knows more than everybody else. You know, he is in line with the way that the Cubs do things, the way that the Astros do things. He's going to put the Phillies at an advantage because they think analytically and they hired more analysts than anybody and they've put so much money into this. And so the Phillies are going to be the best at finding the most or getting the most out of what they have. That's going to be what the Phillies do. And I think that we all understood that there were talent limitations on this roster, but I think that a lot of people feel duped by the fact that these these value plays that they made didn't work. It's like when you get gambling advice from somebody. You're like, oh, I talked to a Vegas insider. He says he really likes the uh, you know the Seahawks getting five and a half tonight. And you feel like that that guy knows something, and they sell you that, and you buy into it. And then it turns out that it's not right. And so you kind of feel like, well, if you're not a baseball guy and if you're not traditional and you're this new school guy, why the hell isn't it working? And I think a lot of people in this city, and I'm not saying you because I think you do understand this, but I think a lot of people's anger is generated by the fact that this did not meet or this has not met the expectations of what they were sold when Matt Klintak was hired. Let me ask this question then, Bob. If, if Klintak was brought in here to be this uh, new age radical and, and change the, the, the you know, move the needle, as he said, that was his quote, our job is to move the needle, stay current, and win baseball games. Why did it take three years to try this? If this was what everyone else was doing, if, this, if these strategies, right, for you know how to uh, in-game decisions, and he goes on to talk about it in the same quote. You know, he says, "My and Kapler's decisions, our in-game decisions, are on display every night." Why did it take three years for it to happen? Well, uh, here's what I would say to that. And again, uh, I'm not. I, I think I should preface this by saying that I'm not a huge Matt Klentak guy, so I don't want to become the the Matt Klintak defender here. I know. I'm putting you in a corner here. I, I know. So here's what I would tell you to that. Um, the Phillies are going to win how many games this year? 80 to 83, it looks yep. like, based yep. on how they're playing right now. And that's a 15, 16-game improvement over last year, uh, somewhere around there, depending on how they finish. Okay. So – People are not happy with Gabe Kapler. I mean, I would say that the average fan in the city hates Gabe Kapler, um, not even dislikes or doesn't prefer, but they, they strongly, strongly do not like this guy. And a lot of people are angry at Matt Klintak. Imagine if the Phillies go out and they get Matt, uh, I'm sorry, Gabe Kapler a year ago with the talent they had then or two years ago with the talent they had then when you had Tyler Goodell standing out there, you know, and Michael Saunders and these guys, right? Imagine doing the stuff that Gabe Kapler did and it resulting in a 65-win team, right? It would be a complete – I mean, there would be no patience. People would burn down the stadium. And there was no patience this year with a team that spent – five months in contention so if you would have gone out and done this two years ago 
I don't know that you could have sold that to the fans. I don't know that you would have had even any wiggle room at that point. I mean, it's hard as it it's hard enough as it is now for this team in terms of public perception. So now rewind that thing back and tell me how that goes. The the point is is that if you wanted to try it two years ago, was the time to do it because there was nobody at the games then. Yeah, but nobody was. Oh. Well, no, I, hold on a second. Hold on, I'll get okay. to that in a minute. Yeah. Um, there was there was literally nobody there. I mean, they, they were they couldn't draw flies. They were the worst team in the National League, and they nobody cared. Right? Um, this was when you had Tyler Goodell playing every day in left field. Okay, and then, so that's that's the kind of that's if you want to try some stuff with some crapped players and, and see how it looks and you know test it out. I, I kind of I, look. I still wouldn't agree with it, but, what but at least see? I understand. What, do you, what are you going to get out of that? I mean, if you're doing it with absolute well, dog shit, then you, you but know. You know what you, you, know what you find does, out of it, Bob? It does come down to talent at the end of the day. It, like, it, it, sure, but you still can find if if certain things that you're certain you know um, uh, parts of the parts of the process are. Uh, work of what you're doing certain certain things that so your data is helping you like you can find it or even if you're not winning the games you can still find out okay we're helping this pitcher who struggles in this situation by doing with by doing by pitching in this manner by throwing these pitches to this batter or by shifting the defense this way we find that it works or you find that guess what we did it, and it still didn't help anything. Well, right. I'll tell you this, though, too. Let me just let me just kind of equate it to this. In, in the education field now, um, a, a lot of, of teaching evaluations are based on data, right, collecting data. And then when you collect your baseline data, you have to formulate a plan on how to best attack and in order to, to find achievement, to increase achievement, to increase learning, right? Like, so what teachers do is they will give a baseline test. Like, what do we have here? Let me, let's establish where you're currently at, and then we're going to formulate a plan to maximize and improve where we're currently at. So, I mean, there could also be something to be said for, let's evaluate our system. We're new. We're outsiders to this thing. Let's see how this thing's operated. Let's see what we have. Let's see what's going on right now. Let's see what's working. And now after we get our baseline data, now we're going to implement the plan to see how we can improve it. So, like, do you just come out swinging and say, like, okay, this sucks. This is no good right away without really taking a lengthy observation before you enact the change? So, like, all I'm saying, again, and, and I think that Matt Klentak has failed 55 times over, but if you're going to come in and just do a sweeping wholesale change in terms of a philosophy of how an organization's run, I would want to get a thorough observation and fully assess what I have before I proceed. And so I'll use the word fact-finding mission now and and mean it. I mean, maybe they had to sit there for a year or two and assess before they could say, this is the best way to go about changing it. Is is there not any fairness in that? Yeah. There is a little. There is a little bit. But the thing, my point is, is that when you get to, when you start to see what is not working, and what is the reasons that I mean we've we've gone over it countless times, where that where they're at the bottom of the league, where they where they've had you know late inning blowups, where they've had problems with the with the lineup, and, and once it, once teams realized they were going to take so many pitches, then they just started attacking them in zone early in counts, and now all of a sudden every hit Phillies hitter is batting you know o o two one two. We we identified it, Bob. You and I, two guys sitting here, you know, in their homes, talking through a computer, 
okay, can identify it. And if the Phillies do identify it, they don't change it because they're so bullheaded, bullheaded that it's going to work. They know better than anyone else, and it's going to work. And that's it. And that's their belief. And Clintac's got that arrogance about him. He may not seem like an arrogant guy when you interview him, but there is an arrogance about his belief in what he's doing. And and I, I don't know. I look. We talk. You talk about teaching, right? Um, not a lot of people know, but I teach a class in the uh, in the summertime that's called leadership. It's about leadership skills and what it takes to be a leader. And one of the things that we always talk about in class is being willing to get off of the idea that you have if it's starting to show that maybe there's a better option out there. Um, that make That's what makes good leaders, that they're able to take more from the people around them or listen to, to other uh, ideologies and other thoughts and kind of, and it doesn't mean you have to completely abandon what you're doing, but you should certainly massage it or, or, or let it mold into something else. And, and find a way for it to be successful and find a way to work with everyone else to be successful. We obviously know that there is internal strife here when Joe Jordan decides he's going to leave the team and then they go and fire four minor league hitting instructors. And the quote, again, from Klentak, um, uh, there are some things offensively in the minor leagues that we'd like to change moving forward. I'm not going to sit here and say bad things about the guys we let go. What would they like what to change? That they don't have any talent? <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously. Seriously. And, and, then, and then the question, is, then the follow-up question is, well, is it a, was it about a teaching style? Broadly, it's important at any level of instruction to stay current with what's happening with the developments in baseball. So in other words, they're basically saying, he's saying, I've had three years running this team, and here's what I want, here's what I want, and we're not getting the results that we want, so it must be the fact that they're not teaching what I want them to, to do. So let's change, make those changes, and then you know we'll just buy myself a little bit more time. I've never seen a group of people who are so good at covering their ass, or trying to cover their ass, uh, than what the Phillies organization is right now. I, I'm telling you, I think it's a bad spot. And you may not be wrong, um, but I think you're a year early to the party. I think that you get to be the guy then that says, if this doesn't work next season, see, I told you so. Because I had, and I think a lot of people had in their minds, this timeline where 2018 would be the first year where they were quasi-competitive, and then 2019. This is what we've been told now for two years. Just wait until the free agency class ahead of the 2019 season. They have the Comcast money. They have a low payroll. They have the need. They have the flexibility. Ability. Wait until you see what the Phillies do next. And you hear the John Heyman report come out last week. The Phillies are interested in both Harper and Machado. And industry executives believe that it's possible. And now we're all getting worked up. We're getting all lubed up for this offseason. And here it comes, right? And if the Phillies don't go out and make those splashes and get that talent upgrade and they don't win in 2019 then you're going to see the revolt. Like, people are pissed now. People are agitated now. People think that Matt Clentac's a dork and that he is, like you said, covering his ass. There's a lot of excuses. We haven't even talked about Gabe Kapler at this point, which I think we should actually just hold off on until next week because I think Gabe Kapler deserves his own his own lengthy discussion and not a, a three-minute throw-in, honestly. Yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah, so, but I, I think that you're going to see the patience completely 
completely wear out next year if if this thing isn't corrected. It's all fine. Well, it, you know. Joe well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this real about quick. Joe Jordan. Who gives, do you really care about Joe Jordan? Because I uh, don't. Uh, you may not. You may not care about Joe Jordan, but I will tell you that in baseball, it's the people that are kind of behind the scenes a little bit that really are the difference makers. Between, I, listen, I totally get that. I, yeah, I, I totally and so that's why I ca- that. that's why I care. I, I, I get it, man. But what I'm saying is, if you look at what the Phillies have been, when you look at the development of their players, and, and this is one of the big things that we talked about, whose fault is it? And, and I and I think it, the blame can be shared across several circles within this organization. And maybe it's partly the fact that they're not on the same page. Is it Joe Jordan's fault that J.P. Crawford has failed to be what they what he was hyped as two three years ago? Is it is it Joe Jordan's fault that that Scott Kingery didn't didn't come out swinging this year. Is it Joe Jordan's fault that Michael Franco is a flawed hitter? That, you know, Oduba, I mean, you know, that was a Rule 5 guy. He wasn't developed in the Philly system, but you get the point. You could go across the board here. They trade for Jorge Alfaro. Who, who wanted him? Why hasn't he developed the way that we had hoped? So, like, my question becomes... Who do you blame for that? Is that Matt Klentak? Is it the new philosophy? Is it the organizational shift that's jammed these guys up? Well, or is, ultimate- it the, is it the old regime that just never developed these guys? And, and you just you can't put your finger on it definitively. Well, ultimately, ultimately, there's probably you know many fingers to be pointed to many different people. Okay, but because of the fact that there is a um, uh, that there is a, a pyramid of power here. Um, you got a point at the top. I mean, really. I mean, if so, if 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 I'm, you know, if I'm put in charge of a group of people at my job, okay, and we don't perform, I might be I might be busting my rear end and doing everything that I can do to to make the company better. But the the people who are underneath me are not doing their job, uh, and, and we're failing. Then I'm failing. You see what I'm saying? So it's 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 on me. If I'm in charge of those people, then it's on me. Okay. And from everything that that has been reported, this was not Matt Clentac firing Joe Jordan. They may have had a meeting in which Joe Jordan didn't like what he heard from Matt Clentac, but Matt Clentac did not fire Joe Jordan. Joe Jordan chose to leave the organization. So when your director of player development decides, you know what? I'm out. This is not this is not working. Right? I'm out. And then you go and say, okay, now we, now that he's gone, we're going to get rid of the people that were under him too. So that's that's that way we can make it look like it's their fault and not our fault. Yeah, but that's I what think they, that's see, what they're I doing. I think people see through that and I think that it also kind of came out in those reports that yes, it was it was Joe Jordan's ultimate decision, but I believe that the Phillies had kind of went to him and said like, "Listen, this is what we want you to do. And he said, well, that's not what I'm good at, and I don't want to do that. You know, so, yeah, yeah like, yes, it wasn't a, a straight-out firing, but it wasn't also, like, Joe Jordan looking around going, like, well, you know, uh, you're – I mean, it, it clearly had to do with direction, right? Right. Like, so, was, so there's certainly so – there is certainly – there was certainly, Bob, a – disconnect between Clentac and Jordan. Yeah, well, here's and, and what I will say, and I'm going to violate what I just said. You know whose fault I, I don't think it is? Uh, I don't think it's the manager's fault. I don't think it's the manager's no. fault. That, that There's a lot of things that are the manager's fault. This is not the right. manager's and, fault. And that's the biggest, to me, the biggest frustration of this season. I, listen, the, the in-game moves and the way that, that the lineups have been 
you know, produced, the way that he's managed the bullpen. I, I can't wait to talk to you about this. I actually can't believe we're not going to talk about this. But just <laughs> from a development standpoint, because we got onto the Matt Clentak thing, like it's not Gabe Kapler's fault that Scott Kingery didn't hit this year. And you think if you think that Gabe Kapler had final say on where Scott Kingery was playing, <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, I think that that was certainly a, an organization-wide decision, how he was going to be utilized. If you think it's Gabe Kapler's fault that Odubel Herrera – couldn't hit after the end of May. I, I think that people are grossly overestimating the manager's impact on player performance in that way. In that way. Mm, uh, in that way. You know, because I think a lot in of these things way. are swing related. I, I really do. I don't think Gabe Kapler grabbed the bat and said, hey, Cesar, uh, we want you to increase your launch angle by six degrees this season. Uh, like, that's, uh, yes, it may be being taught that way but that that's something that comes from the top right like that if you don't to me if you want to move on from Gabe Kapler okay but then you need to move on from you know and I think this is what you're going to argue next week that you need to move on from everybody because this is not this is not a Gabe Kapler thing like you cannot pin this all on him well I and, and my point would be I need because I this this team and, and I'll I'll let you go here because I, I know you have a couple things you want to say about this. I just look at what this team is and I look at the the the, the philosophy and defense and and where they've not only how they've shifted guys but the, their complete disregard for defensive functionality 130 negative 130 defensive runs saved and being 40 runs worse than the second to last team in the national league and a negative 14 run differential and I talked about how bad the pitching's been the last month and the the 238 team batting average which is 27th in baseball 22nd worst slugging percentage third most strikeouts like this team is not that good and so I can't crucify a manager when I know that he has no no talent because there's just not a lot of talent here so you you said that everyone you know coming into the season looked at this as the developmental year where they would be competitive but that 2019 was going to be the big year how long do they get next year do they get the whole season I, I mean I guess it I, I think that it – are we talking about wins-loss or are we talking about uh, well, I mean, the what way do they get? things play? I mean, if, if, we're, if we're in the middle of the season, if we're in the middle of July, let's say, ahead of the trade deadline, and we're talking about a, a team that's hovering around 500 and they are continuing to do the exact same things, I mean, if this looks exactly like it does this year, then, yeah, I think – I don't think these guys are infallible. I don't think that these guys are Teflon. I just think that it, you can't do it yet. I just don't think it's fair yet. So, yeah, I would say into the middle of next season, if we're, if we're still doing this, and not that we have to agree with everything or love everything that's going on, but if we have these fundamental questions about a lack of development and a lack of direction and organizational strife and disconnect, well, then, yeah, I think at that point you need to reevaluate and reassess where where we're at or I, I certainly would um but right now I just there are a lot of things I don't like I'm agitated I wasn't happy if you listen to the show this season you know how disgusted I was by the lack of development of these players and the way this thing played out yeah. I just I, I just I'm not there yet I'm not in the whole like let's detonate the thing yeah no it's like it's like we said two weeks ago like beginning of the season I had him at 85 you had him at 83 and they're gonna be close to that um if not right on one of those numbers and um, regardless, if they, you know, even if they hit that, we're going to be miserable, and we're going to be miserable because it's not be- it's not the way we pictured it go- getting there. 
In other words, they they kind of got there in a roundabout manner, and they, there's not a lot of positive feeling moving forward. And that's that's my biggest concern yeah. with the people running this team. That's something that, they, that they, we've definitely we've spent a lot of time talking yeah. about in recent weeks. Yeah. There's no there's no positivity moving forward. There's no excitement moving forward. Like, I, you know, okay, yeah, you go out and you get one of the big-name free agents or even two of the big-name free agents in the offseason, and everybody's going to be all pumped. Oh, my God, we got Harper, we got Machado, or whatever, okay? The fact of the matter is is that what you have in place, other than really Aaron Nola, and, and, I'm, and I'm okay with Hoskins, although I don't think he's a superstar. He's, he's a, certainly a solid player and a good team leader. But outside of, the, outside of that, what do you have? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's something we've talked about. I think you can honestly say like next year, 2019 opening day. What do you know? And we we, I think had this conversation a week or two ago. Uh, Yeah. You know, what do you know? You know, Aaron Nola, you know, Reese Hoskins and a couple of these other guys will be back, but you just don't know who. And and that's a concern, because if this whole thing was about development and, and kind of finding out information, we've learned nothing that way. And and that really is the 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 biggest you know, aggravating key factor to this this whole this whole season. Um, not the win total, not that they're going to come up short, but but that lack of certainty because you really felt like if nothing else, you were going to get it by the end of this season. Right. Yeah, and that's and, that, and that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest problem, and that's why when I'm saying you know that I don't like the path that it's headed on, it's more so because of that. I mean, they're gonna the Phillies are gonna I think try and spend their way through this. I think that's what they're going yeah, to I think I that's I I certainly agree with that. I think that that's what they real I think that they now realize oh no, we have to go out and spend some money now to figure out if we can get, you know, well, take yeah, a the one thing take that we did step. learn is that they're not the Cubs from 4 years ago and they're not the yeah. Houston Astros. Like they don't have right. that talent. That that pipeline of talent did not yield what it did for those those other organizations and and that we do know so now they're going to have to alter course and we'll see if they are resourceful enough to do that um i'm looking forward to next week because we will not need to talk about anything that has happened on the field uh, barring something outrageous which i guess is always possible but uh we'll call it the great gabe kapler debate i think is what we're going to when we reconvene that's that's what we're going to get into it should be a good one so yeah absolutely absolutely um, but you know we do have to do it since you know we didn't have it two weeks ago because of uh, we were dealing with technical issues and then last week we didn't have it because I wasn't on the show and and, and Phil Kydell was there we do have to have one last thing Bob sure go ahead <laughs> and, and it's it. funny because you know you know what it is because <laughs> I, I sent it I sent it to uh, to everybody in the slack chat do you remember what it was? Yeah, what, what what do you got for me? I, I probably if, if the if the I was looking on the it was just on ESPN right, and they do their standings. This isn't even really a conversation piece; it's just really something that's just kind of stupidly funny. Um, and I was looking at their standings, and in their standings, um, they put the team logo next to the name, so the 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 red P next to Philadelphia Phillies, for example. And I was just scrolling through the standings, and it caught my eye that. If the Oakland A's were in first place in the American League West, the Seattle Mariners were in second, the Houston Astros in third, the LA Angels in fourth, and the Texas Rangers in fifth, that if you looked down the side of the standings where all the logos are, it would spell asshat. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, you know, I mean... (laughs) 
it's twelve thirty in the morning, Bob. Yeah, and now I everyone, just to- you know, I appreciate that, but I, I got nothing for you on that. Let's just wrap this thing up. You don't need it. You didn't need to have anything for me. Boy can dream, right? You didn't need to have anything for me, right? You didn't need to have anything for me. It was just a, it was just a stupid observation. <laughs> no. It's a beautiful game. That's all I can say. Well, yeah, well, it was funny because, and I'll tell you, this is how nuts I am. I, I started like, going. How did you? How? What? How did you figure? Well, so <laughs> so I, I'll tell you the exact. So basically, I'm looking. At, I'm just. I just saw it, and like I'm. So I'm looking for all through all the. After I found it, I'm looking through all the divisions, and nothing else really works. Um, but the fact is, is that I'm sitting there looking at it, and I'm like, oh, because it was the Astros, A's, Mariners, Angels, Rangers, and it's it's like. The A's has two letters, so it's like, oh, has sat, has sat. Like, oh, that's interesting. Are you like big scramble guy, or right? Scrabble, <laughs> so scrabble. scrabble. I play friends. some. Scra- yeah. I play some scrabble, right? So I'm like, oh, well, has sat, and I'm like, oh, I wonder what that can that make another word? And I'm starting to push it around, and I come up with ass hat, right? So that's the first, so that's it, and you can't do it with any other division, really. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, you could, yeah, not really. I mean, you could try with the National League East because uh, they all have, uh, but the Mets have that. Extra Y kind of throws things out. That was your crowning achievement of sports research, right there. Yeah, yeah. there you go, there you go. So anyway, it was just, it was just me being being stupid one day, and uh, I just, and we said, yeah, we got to make that one last thing on the show. It's a great and, word, and uh, I invite everybody to use it. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm just credit Anthony when you do. Uh, that's right. Anyway, uh, we want to thank everyone for tuning in. Be sure to check out all the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcasting Network. Across uh, the uh, the Crossing Broadcast, um, they're back. Uh, they're back. Snow the goalie. Hey, I got Russ uh, a credential for the Flyers this year. How about um, it? So we're going to be expanding some hockey coverage uh, this year. No, we'll, we'll have the weekly uh, hockey podcast uh, now that the Flyers are back in uh, training camp. Um, played uh, two preseason games already, believe it or not. Um, most people don't even know that. They won the and, right? Yeah, they did. Three to one. They, yeah. they won the night at home. I didn't. I decided not to go down because um, I really can't stand preseason sports in general um and then there's the two soccer podcasts it's always soccer in philadelphia um and uh crossing broad fc featuring phil kydell who uh, filled in for me here on crossed up last week um hey uh check us out uh, to make sure to download us uh through whatever uh, itunes or google play or, or whatever uh podcasting networks you use uh, leave us uh, a review um Give us a five-star rating if you can. And uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, we will check you out uh, next week when we will have the great, great Gabe Kapler debate here on Crossed Up. So for Bob Wankel, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo saying have a great day.